0: Thank you so much for worship and the time of worship. Thank you for the opportunity to study the Word. God, I do pray that it would be uh, alive and active in each one of us. God, anytime we open up the Scriptures, it holds the potential to change who we are into the image of who you are. And God, that's what we want. So help us to discover this morning, help us to grow, give us listening ears and tender hearts. God, anoint my words to speak clearly. God, anoint my words to touch hearts. Let let them be your words speaking through me, because otherwise it's just me. So God, we need your help, your direction, your wisdom, your clarity, and your grace. And we ask for all that right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well. I'm gonna see how far I get because we did take a really long time in worship and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, you guys are already looking like you want lunch. Um, but we do have a few minutes together, so, so let's see. So, so far we've been going through this study in Exodus and I think that um, it's been a good study. I, I, I've enjoyed it, it's been very challenging for me. Um, has it been challenging for you guys? Like kind of testing where you're at, helping you to see? And, and last week we covered the nine plagues Today we're gonna cover the 10th, which is the Passover, or literally the plague of death is actually what it is. So as I've been doing this, just walking my head through it, I'm like, man, we've seen bloody water, dead fish, frogs everywhere, dead frogs piled up, smelling bad, lice, ooh gross, flies, livestock dying, boils on skin, hail destroying everything, locusts destroying everything the hail didn't destroy, and three days of darkness. Now, when you get into the Passover story, we, like, listen, church, we sanitize this stuff. We read it now like it didn't ever really happen. Like, we don't really think, like, there's so many frogs everywhere that you would be sitting in church right now there'd be frogs all over you. We don't think like that. We just think, oh, that's what God did to them, or this happened to, no. Imagine for a moment as we head into the story, I want you to be thinking like this. A whole bunch of people are about to die, but you're not. What do you think that might have sounded like? What do you think it would have sounded like to be in your home while your neighbor's wailing because their newborn son just died or their 18-year-old son firstborn just died? I mean, could you imagine? And you're thinking like, why didn't y'all listen? Like Moses wasn't the instrument of death. He was actually trying to get you to go with God to let us go. It didn't have to end this way. Imagine if you were in that setting. Oh, see, to me that's wild. Like I can't even imagine that. And as a pastor, I've been in the middle of lots of loss. i buried your loved ones. I get it. Like I've been in. I've seen loss. I can't imagine this. This is like wait. Like I, I honestly don't have a frame of reference for death at this level. So this morning I want to walk through the last plague, and. And I wanna just think about some of what they might have faced that we can learn from. So, but, but just by, how, how many of you guys suffer from, from FOMO? You guys know what FOMO is? Got a really bad case of FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. See, a lot of times we find ourselves in situations that we shouldn't be in because we're worried that we might what? May miss something. You might miss something. And I know for myself, like when I was transitioning into walking with God and walking with Him closely, I had a really hard time because a lot of the people that I was around, none of your friends are like this, though, but the people I was around, they were crazy. I helped them be that way sometimes. But they were doing things that I didn't do, but I, sometimes I would go anyways because I just was worried that I would miss out. And some of you are finding yourselves in spots that you shouldn't be in. Like, it was wild. I was reading this morning, just unrelated to my study, and it said, man, that as believers, we shouldn't even associate with other believers who are not walking with God. It's a devotion I was reading this one. I'm like, whew, that's scary. Because a lot of us know Christians who are what? Not walking with God. Man, we just and they choose not to. They're, they're like way off into somewhere else. Now, I'm pretty sure as far as missing out, when you look at the Passover, I think this is one you'd want to miss out on. I think you would not want to be there for this particular one because there's going to be lots and lots of loss. So Egyptians, they just face three days of pitch black nothingness. I like can't see your hand in front of your face. That's what they just experienced. That's after all of the other plagues that I spoke of. And they're still not rolling over. So, so we're about to go to the last one, the plague of death, the Passover lamb. But to understand the the Old Testament, I want to start in the New with just a few verses. Not going to go deep, but just a little bit of context. Like, who is Jesus? Do you all understand that Jesus is the Passover lamb? So when you look at the Passover in the Old Testament that we're about to study, in the New Testament, Jesus is the one who was the deliverer, the one who protected us from death. So the first scripture is this. this. is the Apostle Paul. This is out of 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And it says, clean out the old leaven. Remember, leaven is always a type, it's a rising agent, but it's a type of sin in the scriptures most often, not 100% of the time, most often. He said, so that you may be a new lump, not an old lump, a new lump. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened, not full of sin anymore. For Christ, our Passover also has been sanctified. That's the first non-gospel writer that talked about it. The next one is Peter. This is out of chapter 1, verse 17. It says, if you address as father the one who is impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time on the earth. Now, by the way, that word fear there is reverence for God. It's not talking about being afraid. It's talking about honor knowing that you were not redeemed, bought back, with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, the Passover lamb. You were redeemed by the blood of Christ. Or, Or how about, like one of my favorite characters in all the scriptures is John the Baptist. Anybody who walks around with sackcloth and ashes, eats locusts, He's got my way to go, dude. I mean, I'm just serious. Because that's like straight up crazy. I would never live that way. But John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says that in verse 29 of chapter 1, he says, the next day I saw Jesus coming to him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now I want you to notice a few things. He said the Lamb of God. Put that scripture back up real quick. Could you? John 1, 29 says the Lamb of God who takes away the sin or sins? Sin, singular, isn't it? Because there's only one sin, actually. You guys know what that one sin is? Rejecting God. That's the one sin. Now, we all are succumbed to mistakes, say yes, and those mistakes are called sins, but the ultimate sin is not trusting Jesus as the one who redeems you, sets you apart, rescues you from death. It's singular. So when we think Passover, we should think in terms of exchanges, a life for a life. That's how you you should think in terms of substitution. Jesus instead of me. See, Jesus Christ, He took our place, the place of death. I've said this to you lots of times, lots of times. If God is not a God of judgment, then there's no need for mercy or grace. If he doesn't judge, like this idea that everything is open game, you can do whatever you want, and God is okay with all of it. No, no, he's really not. He's really not. And he's very clear in the scriptures that he's not. But when we make him that way, then we actually diminish or minimalize grace and mercy. Like, I love this. I got this from John Bevere. This is not Pastor James's thought, but it's very, very powerful that the law of grace is a higher law than the law. Everybody always says this, oh, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Oh, really? So let's just test that out. Just a second. You guys want to test it out with me? Come on, you want to just say yes, I'm going to do it. You guys want to test it out? Say, sure, pastor, go ahead. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look. Oh, man, I'm in trouble for looking now? I've I've heard it said, do not commit murder. But if you look at your brother with Murder. murder in your heart, You've committed that. So, would you guys agree that the law of grace is actually a higher law than the Ten Commandments? So, so listen, when we study this stuff, Jesus being our Passover lamb, know this the cost was gigantic. Like sometimes we take it very casually, but the cost was big, it wasn't small. It was very, very large. I, I mean, just think of who you were before you knew Christ and who He's made you to become night and day and night and day. Maybe your story's not as crazy as mine. Maybe for you it was a little bit of anxiety and now you have peace. Maybe for you it was a little bit of depression and now you have hope. Maybe you weren't like me, party boy selling drugs, got set free in a prayer. Maybe you weren't that extreme. But everybody needs to be set free, amen? And that is exactly what Passover is about. So just, I want to recap chapter 11. We're going to jump into chapter 12 is where we're going to be. But anybody in the room ever been passed over? Promotion, get passed over. Invitation, oh, it got lost in the mail, passed over. Listen, most of us think getting passed over is a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not here, it's not. In this context, it's actually a very good thing. See, just to recap chapter, chapter one and verse one, Pharaoh, God says to, to Moses, Pharaoh will let you go. In fact, he'll so much let you go that he's gonna drive you out. Now, we covered some of this last week, so this is a recap, this is fast. Verse 2, it says, ask for articles of gold and silver. Like they plunder them. So in other words, they're not even going empty-handed. They're going with with stuff. Mm -hmm. By the way, you should think this way about that. How many years did they work for the Egyptians without pay? The 430? Maybe that's a little back pay. Maybe God is settling the score. Maybe he's just being just. Like, we sometimes want to think they're ripping them off. That's probably not what was going on. And then in Exodus 11, 4, and 5, I'm going to read these two verses for you. And so You can put them up on the screen if you guys would like. Verse 4, it says this, Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, what time? Midnight. Man, you ever wonder why midnight's like the witching hour? I, like, my dad always used to say this, nothing good happens after midnight. Like when he set a curfew for me, you need to be home by midnight. Man, dad, everybody's hanging out, though. Nothing good happens after midnight. I'm just thinking maybe it came from there. So about midnight, I'm going to go out in the midst of Egypt, verse 5, and it says, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall what? Die. Like I said, imagine, imagine you're in your house and you're going to see what you need to do to be covered. And you're hearing all of this wailing, all of this crying. I mean, these are people you might actually know. Your kids might play with them. I mean, it's not like just totally removed. Sometimes we just remove it, it's not like that. It says that in Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh, in other words, the highest of the high, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who works behind the millstones, the one who grinds your wheat. all the firstborn of the cattle as well, all dead. So this is the plague of death about midnight, The firstborn are going to die. Pharaoh, the slave girl, the cattle, everything's dying. Verse 6, it says there's a great cry in the city when this happens. All the weeping, all the wailing, all the mourning. Again, don't sanitize the story. The story is full of fear. It's full of reverence. It's full of justice and judgment. It's scary. I I hate scary movies. Anybody else hate scary movies? I don't like things that jump out. Like my, I, I was doing work in the entryway. My wife walked in from the garage. Like, ah, I felt like a little girl. I, like, I swear. I was, like, I was like, she startled me. And she's like, I got you. And I'm like, I hate it when you do that. But she does it all the time. If you know my wife, she'll jump out and scare you. But the worst ones for me are the evil ones. Man, you get into horror flicks that are demonically oriented and their spirits. Man, I just get like, ooh, no thanks, man. Why would you want to entertain that stuff? Like, it's just, for me, it's a little bit too much. But when you think of this story, you should think of it like it was scary. People are dying, and they don't know why. I mean, they got the threat. Did the word go out all throughout all of Egypt, and everybody knew what was happening? No. Everybody's dying. And they know that it has something to do with the Israelites. It's their fault. That's maybe the extent of what they know. So, so he just says, so oh, man, you've got to understand that God says in verse 7, listen, you're set apart, you're distinct, you're not like everybody else. The Israelites don't need to worry, I'm getting Egypt. Listen, can I say something to you? You're distinct. I like, I like this about God. Tell me if you like this about God, that God is always trying to prove himself to us. You know what's funny? Like He doesn't need to, by the way. He's God, right? You guys all understand that. God doesn't have to do anything, but he loves you so much that he'll he'll like meet you in your point of like, this is confusing. Anybody ever been confused? Didn't understand God, needed him to show you, and then he did? Oh man, more times than I can count. See, God doesn't have to do that for us, but he said, you're distinct, you're set apart, you're not like the worldly people, you're like my people. You're spiritual. By the way, this is true of you too today. You're set apart. You're not like the world. And then in verse 10, it says, man, Moses is highly regarded. The reason Moses is highly regarded, because he performed the wonders and the miracles right in front of Pharaoh. The people watched it. The Israelites watched it. Everybody saw it happen. Very powerful story. And even after everything that, like, think like this, Pharaoh had a front row seat, still hardened his heart. Like, what's funny about this for me is most all of us do not think, like, hey, man, if I was there, I would have bowed. I would have got it. I would have got it. I wouldn't have been like them. I would have listened. Anybody think that? Like, sometimes you read these stories, you're like, how stupid can you be? It's kind of like the person who goes to open the door in the scary movie. You're like, the bad man's behind the door. Keep it closed. Don't open the door. Oh, yeah, no. that's, He was front row center, seeing all the miracles, and he still hardened his heart. Listen, I already encouraged you a couple weeks ago about protecting yourself from having a hard heart because it's easy to get hardened in your heart. So Moses is esteemed. Pharaoh is fighting back, and now we're at chapter 12. So let's jump in. We'll start walking through this together. So chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in front of the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Now, it's kind of interesting because this is not like January 1st, in our calendar anyways. This would not be their January 1st. I think the beginning of their year is like late November or something like that, beginning of December. It's, it moves like all calendars do. But they're, they're, this is not their new year. Listen, this is their spiritual new year. Like the the, the Jewish calendar, they have two things going on. They have an everyday calendar and a spiritual one. How many of you guys remember the day you got saved? How many of you guys actually remember the date? Anybody remember the date? I got like the three or four days. I got saved right around my birthday, like when I was 22. I, I think it was two days before. I'm pretty sure it was January 5th. January 7th is my birthday. Mark your calendars. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm pretty sure it's January 5th, but I'm not 100% sure on that. It could have been the 6th, but it was right there. But, but man, if you remember, you remember that that was a day of what? Newness. Yeah. New beginnings. New starts. And, and listen, I think that one of the words of the Lord from this text for us is it's a new beginning. Like some of you, how many of you have had a hard time? Hard year, hard two years, hard five years. Heck, hard life. Hello? newness. See, this is an attachment by faith, that if God says that new things will happen, you walk in the newness that God professes. Remember, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has what? Passed away, and all things have become new. This is about walking in faith, church. It's about growing up in our understanding. It says, man, this is the beginning of months. It's the head. It's the top. This was my favorite. It's the summit. (laughs) literally the definition of that word you know Passover is new spiritually it's a model a type something that we as Christians move toward as a beginning understanding that Jesus is the Passover lamb he continues on in verse 3 and it says speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves let me pause real quick 10th 10 is the number of what anybody know judgment. It's the number of judgment. So what you're saying is on the 10th, you're going to remember that I judged Egypt, but that judgment set you what? Free. That's what it did. It says, so on the 10th of the month, according to their fathers, or households, a lamb for each household. Now verse four, now if the household's too small for a lamb, then, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of the persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. So he says, listen, first do it on the 10th. It's a day of judgment and a day of release. It's both of those. One for each household. If it's only like you or you and your wife, get together with your neighbor and eat together. Man, community early on in the Bible. You guys get this. I say this all the time, I love this, I love this. It's part of why I'm overweight. Okay, so I love this. I love food. How many of you guys love food? I mean like really like food. I'm not talking about like I get up and eat because I like, I love food. Like I like creating food, I like mixing stuff, I like flavors and it's a problem because anytime I make something good, I eat a lot of it. It is, it's a problem. Actually I've lost about seven or eight pounds I'm feeling pretty good. Let's keep that going. But the reality is this, food is spiritual. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm -hmm. And what what he's saying is, listen, you guys gather together and do this thing together, life, spiritual. Now, in Jewish custom, you need to think like this. If I share my lamb with you, you're getting what would keep me alive. That means we're knit. I'm giving you my very sustenance. That means we're connected. It's not just like, oh, let's go out to lunch after church. It's like I'm sharing with you what would be for me and my family, therefore we're knit together. That's Jewish culture. That's how we should think as well as believers. He goes on in verse five, he says, your lamb is to be unblemished, a male one-year-old, so all of you people are all about let's raise the rights of females, um, the male goats are the ones who get killed, just saying. That that was free, is not important. You may take it from a sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So, so what's going on? The first thing is this, it's unblemished. It's complete. It's healthy. Like, like, listen, listen. This is what started to happen in the New Testament times. They would come to the temple, and they'd come in one of their lambs and have, like, their eye all cockeyed and out sideways or broken leg, and, and God would be like, no, I don't take jacked-up stuff. Mm-hmm. What? Watch. This is important. Jesus was without sin, without stain. No, body in, no bone in his body was what? Broken. He's fitting. The requirements of being unblemished by the way yeah, right, right. he was the perfect lamb of God mm-hmm. yeah. see see this idea of unblemished was don't bring me listen the second best bring me the what yeah. the best oh and by the way just to make sure it's the best let's wait for 14 days just in case something happens to that jacked up little lamb of yours and then you try to bring that as a sacrifice let's make sure it stays complete that's why they waited 14 days now, that's crazy. Like, like, I think that's awesome. I think it's precise. Watch, I think it's God. God doesn't want our second best. Somebody should say amen to that. He doesn't want our second best. He wants the first and best of everything that we, could, that we have or that we could offer, a male, a lamb of one year, separated 14 days, kill it at twilight. In other words, do it at this time of day. Everybody did it at the same time. I mean, there's just detail in there that is just so powerful. And then verse 7, he goes on. He says, moreover, they shall take some of the blood and they'll put it on the doorposts and on the lentil. Now, we don't use the word lentil. Most of us would say the the top of the door or the header. So when you walk through like even the doorway in the church, it's got the two side posts and the lentil. By the way, if you put blood on the two side posts and the lentil, actually, let me demonstrate here because I think this is cool. It forms a cross. Very specific, by the way. That is not accidental. It even goes to the detail to say, do it on the inside of the house. In other words, you're confined to me. God is very, very particular in how he wants us to do it. He goes on in verse 8. He says, they shall eat the flesh the same night. So you, listen, think like this. No doggy bags. You don't get to take nothing home. You don't get to save it for tomorrow. Whatever you do, you're going to do tonight. You're going to roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. I'll explain those in a second. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all in water. By the way, lamb is way better roasted than boiled. Just saying. But rather roast it with fire, both its head and its legs and all of its entrails. In other words, the entirety of the carcass, and you shall not leave any of it until morning. But whatever is left until morning, you shall burn it with fire. So, can you say like specific? Like, like let me let me help you. Like, I know we're in an age of grace. I know that God will take you just as you are. Somebody say, man, He takes you just as, like He does. He take, but listen, listen, listen. He doesn't leave you just as you came. That's part of the problem in modern Christianity. Like God will take me and then he'll retake me and he'll retake me and no change, no transformation. No, he'll take you just as you are, but he won't leave you just as you came. He he will change you into a new image. He'll conform you to the image of Christ. And and he's so particularly said, eat it the same night, no doggy bags, you're not taking anything home. Roast it with fire. Why fire? Clean, purifies. would you be bitter? Probably. Listen, and I don't want to speak to this extensively, look at the tension within races within America. How long the, the, the black community was held down in America via slavery, and I understand that it's not the only culture that's been enslaved. Obviously, we're reading God's own people were enslaved, but you're watching the tension 200 and what, 50 years later? You still watch the tension. You know, I, I, one of the things I love about our church is we're pretty ethnically biased. Like we got some white folk, we got some European folk, we got some folk of color, we got some Middle East, we got some Far East folks. We got people. You know what I love about that? This is heaven. That's what I love. I really do love that. I don't think God looks at that stuff, and I, I think God just looks at this, "I created it all different because I'm unique. I'm a God of diversity." And I think it's on us now to walk in it, but but listen, don't miss that when people are oppressed, it produces bitterness in them. Mm -hmm. So when you look at people that are like, sometimes I, I, okay, this is free and I'm trying to stay on time so I won't go very far. Sometimes I watch stuff online and I hear people spin their spin about, you know, whatever, women being oppressed or, you know, gender bias stuff being oppressed or the the black community being oppressed. And some of them, I just kind of go, man, you're crazy. Like, they're, they're part of the problem here is there's no spiritual emphasis in this at all. So it, it just is cockeyed. Like, it doesn't land anywhere where there's restoration. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, it wasn't as bad. I don't know. I, I don't suffer from that experience. But I do know this, that if you don't put God into the middle of it, you won't solve it. I do know that 100%. Okay, so back, back to where we were. Let's talk about fire for a second. Like, why did it take fire. That's just, just some of my insights. I, I don't know that I would say, like, this is doctrine, but why open fire? Simply, why a consuming fire? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It says, therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, speaking of the kingdom of God, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a what? consuming fire. You know one of the problems with walking with God is we don't want him to burn up the whole old life, just most of it. I'll just let that settle with you. You guys are smart. We're trying to hang on to things that God is trying to burn up and it's part why we stay stuck. You know, you just have a little bit too much of the world in your situation, and it never looks like God or the world. It just looks murky. You get what I'm saying? And God is saying, listen, if you'll give me your whole life, I'll burn up the old life and I'll give you the new one. But you can't mix the two. I mean, Jesus said it this way in Revelations. He said, listen, I would that you'd be hot or that you'd be cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to do what? Come on, church. I'm going to spit you out. Let, let, listen, let me put this in modern English. Jesus said, either you're for me or go live worldly. Just don't do both. It jacks with you. It jacks with everybody watching you. It jacks, jacks with everybody connected to you. It doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. He said, if you're going to do it, all in. If you're not going to do it, all out. Don't do the middle. The middle's a dangerous spot. So he says, man, my God's a consuming fire. So question for you, Does the fire of God destroy, or does it refine? Refines. Refines. Doesn't destroy. See, the fire of God refines because he's a, a refiner's fire. He's a purifier. God says this, that he'll turn up the heat so hot on you, so hot that all the junk in you will boil to the top. Ick. Anybody ever had your junk boil to the top? By the way, when your junk boils to the top, Everybody can see it. That's the worst part. Like we, we were at the house yesterday and I was, doing, I, was, I was having a moment yesterday. It wasn't actually a bad moment. I was being real sarcastic though. And, and I kept washing this pot and we had all these plastic bowls and they were set on the dish rack and every time I'd wash the pot, there's two big pots I'm washing, I would bump the thing and the clean plastic bowls would fall into the dirty one. Like five times. Finally I said, that's it. I'm not doing the dishes. My wife goes, I think God is teaching you patience. I said, you don't know it. No, I didn't. I, <laughs> but I did. I, I was gonna win the patience battle and I did. I finished the dishes and my son came and moved the plastic bowl so I didn't knock them back into the dirty water. But man, sometimes we gotta understand that the, the ugly surfaces and everybody sees it. By the way, you know where you show you're ugly the most? The people closest to you. The ones that you should love the most openly and deeply are the ones that you treat the worst, and the people you don't give a rip about think, oh, he's such a nice guy. Well, listen, I, I, I would just love to go into each other's homes, maybe I don't want to do this, and just sit for a half hour and watch. You know why I don't want to do it? Because I don't want you to come into my house and watch for a half hour. That's just the truth. I'm like, no. So God, does He destroy or does He refine? He, he refines. He purifies. In fact, that purifying process of God is so intense that if it's clear, like really clear, like metal refined, really clear, it's like a mirror. You can see your own reflection. That's what God is after because your own reflection is the true you. It's the image of God in you. I think that's super powerful. So don't always resist that fire of God. Like we think it's negative because it's uncomfortable, right? But the reality of this, it makes you who you're really supposed to be. You know how I know God loves me? I've been through some fire. I have. You guys could say the same. You've been through some fire. Pain, loss, disoriented, hopelessness, hard, feels like things are against you. And then God shows up. See, that's what's happened. Like, imagine, you're in bondage 430 years. In fact, you're in bondage for so long, you think it's normal. By the way, that's some of you in the room. You've been in bondage so long, you think it's normal. And God is saying, no, 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 I want to set you free. And some of that requires intensity. It requires fire. What about, like, like, think about how Moses discovered God. He sees a bush in the desert that's not being, what? Consumed. And he goes and investigates. Man, all the fire is not God. So what does fire represent? Fire does represent actually God. It does. It also represents a sacrifice because it sacrifices a burn. Fire represents refining. We just discussed that. Fire represents purity. It'll make you clear in who you are, in image and person. Fire also represents this holiness. God is trying to make you like Him, and God is holy. He's holy. So don't resist that fire of God. Like, no one likes it when the fire's turned up. Somebody say amen. Like, I don't like it when God is burning off my rough stuff. Hello? I don't think anybody does. But I like the outcome. I do. I like the outcome. But I don't like the process. It's hot. I'm losing things I want to keep. I don't want to give that up. God is like, nope, poof, that's got to go too. I'm like, hey, easy. You guys have all thought the same thing, haven't you? then God says, but if you'll let me finish... The end result will be better than what you have. Mm-hmm. Always better than what you have. R.C. Sproul said a few things about the holiness of God. Incidentally, I do have a book list coming. I have a book list everybody's been asking, like, what do you read? What shaped you? R.C. Sproul wrote a book called The Holiness of God. It is one of the books on my reading list. But in this book, he has a few quotes that I just think are wonderful. One is from Augustine, one is his own. So I'm going to read Augustine's quote first. And this is what it says regarding like the holiness of God, like God being different, this refining fire kind of thought. Now this is old school, so you got to think Augustine like 1,500 years ago. What is that which gleams through me and strikes my heart without hurting it? And I shudder... And kindle. I shudder because I'm unlike it and I kindle in as much as I am like it. You know that when you face the holiness of God, the purity of God, you'll be like, I don't belong here and feel welcomed all at the same time. (laughs) See, when the holiness of God pierces through you, you'll be like, oh, I fail so much. You'll be like, oh, but God is present. It's like both extremes. It's wild. And then R.C. Sproul penned this. He said, Hence the dread and amazement with which, as scripture uniformly relates, holy men were both struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. Man, I don't know. You ever get face to face with God, you won't be like, Hey, Jesus, what's up? You'd be like, Whoop, I'm down. You guys remember like Isaiah? Sees the Lord on his throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple and he falls on his face like a what? A dead man. Falls on his face like, holy cow, God's here and I don't belong, this is powerful. So you gotta get that like we sometimes make God a little too casual instead of reverent and honored. Okay, let let me go, let me go because otherwise we're gonna be here too too long. Let me go because we still gotta take communion. So stop distracting me. I'm only playing. So verse 11 verse 11 of chapter 12. He said, now you shall eat in this manner with your loins girded. In other words, readiness, your sandals on your feet. Don't, don't go running around looking for your slippers. They should be what? On. Okay. And and your staff in your hand. In other words, you're ready to go and you shall eat it in haste because it's the Lord's Passover. Now in Jewish culture, everything is done casually. Like they lounge, they lie down, they eat, not this meal, This meal is hurry, quick, eat it, quick, be ready to go. Because at any moment, the angel of death could come, and then God's going to say, let's go. And you've got to be ready to what? By the way, that's a New Testament concept. You guys understand that? Like in Ephesians 6, he says, have your feet shod with the gospel of peace, the readiness of the gospel of peace. He's telling you, you should be ready to go. Paul encouraging Timothy, he said, man, you should be ready in season and out of season. Okay, so I'm going to rip you for a second. Say, I love you, Pastor James. If you're a believer, you're always in season. Right, right. You're like, what the heck does that mean? That means you're always ready. But pastor, you don't know what I've been through. Oh, please. I led this church after my house burned down. Okay, don't, don't give me excuses. What I'm saying is give what you've got. Don't give what you don't got. You get what I'm saying? You don't get to take yourself out of the game with God. You know that in your weakest moments, people are watching most closely I had people come to me all the time and go, I don't know how you're doing it. And I said, me neither. It's pretty hard. This is pretty hard. got Somewhere God is going to make this right. It's going to get easier. It, it didn't. It didn't. What I found was over and over, he sustained me. I, there, you guys, man, there were times I would go for drives just to be alone so that I could cry and no one would see it. Just so that I could say, like, God, I don't get you. Like I've served you since I said yes. I've never walked. Never walked. And all this catastrophe, what the heck? Okay, James, I know. You're done crying? Yeah, I think I'm done crying now. Okay, go lead the people. Okay, really, God, I feel like I'm about to crash and burn. And everybody's feeling it. Everybody's feeling it. I'm not the only one. My kids, my wife, and I'm acting all the fool because it's hard. And they're like, I don't know why you think it's so hard. Let's just find a place to live and go. And I'm like, You don't get it. You're not the man. Making all the excuses that a man would make, right? And by the way, it wasn't that I wasn't dialed into God. I was praying and I was with God, and it was still incredibly, incredibly difficult. You're ready in season, you're ready out of season. Listen, if all you've got is a little bit to give, give the little bit. God accepts small offerings like the widow's mind. He accepts those. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing, but he does want you to be willing to say yes when he says go, give, serve, love, whatever it is. He wants you to say yes. Think like this when you consider that Ephesians passage with your feet shot or ready in and out of season. The context, first one is warfare. You're in a battle. Be ready. The second one is false doctrine. You're in a battle. Be ready. You should be ready to contend for your faith once offered for all. Okay. Oh, man. You guys had to go worship so long. It's all your fault. <laughs> Exodus verse 12. It says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I'll strike down the firstborn of the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I'm God, I love that. Like I know they think they can battle against me, but like I am the Lord, like they're not going to battle against me. The blood shall be a sign for you on the households where you live. And when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you, paschal in the Hebrew. The paschal lamb, that's where that comes from. It's actually the Hebrew words, put together, oh, wow. and no plague will befall you. Somebody say, no plague. no plague. No plague. Listen, this is by faith, church. Everybody outside is screaming because everything is dying. Are you wondering, like, what if it comes into my house and my babies die? You think anybody thought that while this was happening? I bet you they did. I know I would. Like, oh, heck's breaking loose, but God said... Well, nothing's happened yet, but God. Ooh, you hear that scream? Oh, that's Bertha. She lost her son. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, this is real. It's real, and you're sitting there wondering, will it work? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. See, I tie myself in the story, and it gets scary. Until it passes, then it's not scary anymore. Then you realize God is a deliverer he is powerful. He said, put it on the doorpost over the lentil. I'll protect you. And, and, and he ties these two things together, the, the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread. The two things go together. Anytime you have unleavened bread and Passover, they go together. One isn't removed from the other. Now, when you're thinking unleavened bread, think like this, think crackers without salt. Think pita bread. How do you guys like pita bread? I love me some pita bread. I do. It's like one of my favorites. A close, a close second would be non-bread. I like that a lot, too. I, they're made differently, but both of them are amazing. And you got to think like that when you're thinking unleavened bread. But there's symbolism. There's typology in this. It's not just a piece of bread. So, so in verse 14, we're going to read through 17. And he said, now this day is a memorial to you. What is it? Memorial. In other words, don't forget. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Don't ever let it go away. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. In other words, no no sourdough and puffed up bread, no big rising, none of that stuff. But on the first day, you shall remove all leaven from your houses. Now, I said earlier that leaven is a type of what? Sin. In the Bible, it's a type of sin. Now, not every single time is it a type of sin. But most often when it's mentioned in the scripture, it is a type of what? He's saying, get all the sin out of your house. Let me just put it in modern English. Get all of the sin, it's, it's a type. You want to eat unleavened bread, which also incidentally has to do with readiness. Because if you take the bread and you make it with yeast, what do you need to do? You got to let it rise, right? And if you let it rise, that means you're not ready to what? Go, you're not ready to go. So he's saying, "Listen, it's got to be unleavened bread because you've got to be ready. Because when all of this goes down, and I tell Moses, get the people and move, you've got to be ready to do what? Remember, you got your sandals on, your robe is tucked in on in your belt. You're ready. Got your staff in your hand. Your stuff's all packed up. You're you're eating a meal that God is commanding you to eat. He's demonstrating He's deliver. Now he's saying, and I need you to be ready. Don't fool around. I need you to be ready and." Now, just for the sake of time, I'm going to go a little bit fast. So, negative, Negative stuff with leaven. A couple of times that Jesus mentions it. I won't read the whole scriptures. This is out of Matthew 16. Jesus said to all the disciples, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. In other words, they're puffed up. They're full of themselves. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, fake religion. Positively speaking, I like this one. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is like leaven. Just get it in there just a little bit and let it sit, and it'll start to surge. And when it surges, the kingdom expands. Like I said, not always negative, most often negative. How many of you guys have gotten saved, and then you show up in your household with a whole bunch of unsaved people, and you just love them in the name of Jesus, and you watch it expand? You know, we're going to go watch this movie next week, right? It's the, the Jesus People Movement. Some of you guys know I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, so I've been around this movement. My brother Steve led worship last Sunday. Some of you guys don't know this. Steve got saved in one of Chuck Smith's 10th meetings, like 1971 or 72 or something like that. A long time ago. So he got saved in that whole Jesus People barefoot hippie thing. My brother was a weirdo. I think it's great. I love my brother. He's awesome. But man, that, that goes all the way back to then. Like they, they're just different, set out, set apart. And, and now you watch the release in my household, the baby of 12 kids. I think I'm the second last sibling, third last sibling to get saved. All of us are saved. But you watched it just people being loving. And not perfect, all kinds of life and mistakes and difficulty, loving. And now over the course of many years, my entire family's believers. Now, some of them are a little deeper than others, I ain't going to lie. But all of them are going to heaven. That's a glorious thing. Let it sit and let it expand. Let it grow. Okay, so now we're to the point where I can wrap this up. That was pretty fast talking, wasn't it? You guys track with me? Could you take notes as fast as I spoke? I'm trying to, like, get you out to lunch, and we do still need to take communion. So you've got the Passover lamb. You've got an unblemished lamb. You've got Jesus being the unblemished lamb of God. And when we're talking about this, what we're talking about is how does this Old Testament model translate into our lives as believers? As an overview, overview, it's a lamb, it's a male, it's of the first year, it's without blemish. You would separate it for 14 days to make sure that it stayed pure, that nothing happened to it, it's roasted over open fire. One of my favorite, God is a consuming fire. Represents being sacri- sacrifice. By the way, your life is a living sacrifice. Somebody say amen. 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 Romans 12, present yourselves as living sacrifices. Let God consume you. It's eaten with bitter herbs. In other words, the, the difficult things in your life were not meant to crush you. But, but it is meant for this. It will definitely, definitely show you how good God is when you've been through bad. It will. You really appreciate grace in the gift of God when you haven't had it. Man, I'll tell you what. I'd like... I don't know. Something on the roof. I, I'm, I'm a pretty... Um, I'm pretty thick-headed. Like... You know, you guys can throw stones. It's what, it's what makes me a good leader, and it's what makes me a bad husband, I think. Just saying. Because sometimes I'm pretty, like... But man, as thick as I am, I understand the freedom and the deliverance of God. I, like, I'm so great. Like, like, you guys would say the same. As crazy as your life might be, and maybe your, your issue is not being thick like me. I'm pretty thick. Maybe yours is being Passive. Maybe yours is being indifferent. Maybe yours is being hopeless. Maybe you're denying the image and the the majesty of God in you because of history or family life or whatever has been spoken over you negatively and you just embraced it and you never break out of it. See, what I would suggest to you is you're not seeing the image of God and you're not seeing God's identity for you. And so I look at all the craziness that I've done and the ways that God has redeemed some of those things, the way he's still working on others, and I just think, man, I know I'm a child of the king. What about you guys? Can you put your finger on the fact that you know that you know that you know I belong to God? No question about it. See, and I'll tell you this, that comes with difficulty. Because you live in a fallen world, a sinful world. I get that sin impacts us. But you don't have to live with the identity of sin. You have to live with the Passover lamb who takes you and delivers you out of that into the next thing. Like, man, if you're in a bad spot right now, listen to me. It'll pass. It'll pass. And if it passes to the point where you go to heaven, heck, that's pretty good, I think. Hello? Isn't it? Man, if this gets like, I've actually gotten to the point in my life, maybe it's because I'm a little older that like, hey, listen, if I die, I go to heaven. How bad is that? I'd be sad for my wife and my kids, but not for me. Not for me. I'd be like, hallelujah. Don't have to fight this battle anymore. But seriously, sometimes we hang on to this thing a little bit too tightly. Remember that bitterness reminds us that we've been delivered from bondage. He said, eat it with unleavened bread. This is a reminder of haste, readiness, and it's a call to holiness. Get the sin out of your life. Have your sandals on, staff in your hand, robe tucked in, ready for God's lead, ready for battle. Don't partake in things that that you're not meant to belong to or partake in. This is God's way, even if you think it's strange. Listen, I'm going to wrap up with this and then we're going to take communion together. You should think it's odd that God asks you to do something that doesn't make natural sense. You're like, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. I know. Because spiritual life doesn't make natural sense. It doesn't mean that it's totally illogical, by the way. Right? Like, give and you'll receive. But if I give, I don't have it anymore. How can I, that doesn't make sense. Hello? See, when you look at spiritual principles, they are always things that are illogical. Forgive, and you'll be You don't know what they did. I'm not forgiving no one. they got to come to me. they got to apologize to me. Spiritual principles are always illogical. But listen, listen, but they work. So, so wait, 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 Moses, Moses, really, really. So what you're saying is, kill a little lammy, put a little blood on the doorpost and over the thing, and we ain't going to die, but everybody else is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, well, why? Because that's what God told us to do. But, but why? Because that's what God told us. But why? Because that is what God told us to do. Now, we have the blessing of the scriptures. Listen, they didn't. They didn't have that like we look forward and back, we study it, we read other people, we analyze it. They're right now in the now. All they've got, all they've got is watching Moses perform miracles over and over and going, well, maybe God is real. Because man, there's lice everywhere, frogs everywhere, the blood, why there's dead fish everywhere. There's big hailstones, the cattle are dying. What the heck? Maybe he's right. Other than that, they got nothing. Remember, Moses is the first time anybody knew God's name. Wow. You guys got to put this in context. That's what I'm trying to get. Like, we have such a rich blessing. They didn't have that. But listen, they followed, they obeyed. Listen, listen. And they were delivered. That all happened by faith. All by faith. All right, Santosh, come on up. Let's, let's oh. Is it bad to drop communion? Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> Incidentally, if you have your little communion cup, I'm going to encourage you to open it now because you need an engineering degree to get that thing open. And then I'm just going to lead you in a couple of prayers. And you know, and I know I'm, I feel like I'm closing abruptly, and I'm not going to go super slow or fast for that matter. Um, I, I want to be considerate of a couple of things that I feel like we covered in worship, but maybe to reiterate them and just get you in a place for your own households to be thoughtful and consider about what God is up to. In verse 23 of Exodus 12, it says, for the Lord will pass through and he's gonna smite the Egyptians. So let me put that into language for you. God is gonna pass through your life and he's gonna smite your adversaries. You need to think with faith because some of you are facing things that are coming against you and you need to know that God is on your side. Now, listen, listen. I didn't say that you're right. Please understand because you're not always right, but God is, amen? And he's always, always on your side. Be pliable and ready for him to do what he's going to do. It says, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that house and he will not allow the destroyer to come into the houses to smite you and you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and for your children forever. So listen, I just want you to bow your heads and focus. I'm going to lead you in a couple things of prayer. Santosh is going to lead us in one song and we're going to go home. But this is how I want you to think when you consider your own household. So if you're a husband and wife, consider it together. Single mom, single dad, consider your responsibility over your household as the head of your household. If you're single, consider that you are supervising you before God. know you've got parents and you may have grandparents that love you get that but as you become an adult you're an individual agent before God and he's prepping you to become who he desires you to be the man or woman of God he desires you to be so as we prepare to take communion I want you to take just a brief moment and maybe with your spouse if you're with them a quick prayer of protection over your household you can do it out loud. You can do it silently. Grab their hand if you feel comfortable. If you're single or alone, single mom, single dad. If you're online doing it, you can do it this way from home too. Just say, God, I commit my family to you. I pray for your covering and your protection. I pray for health. I pray for provision. I pray that we be a household of readiness, a household of peace, a household of grace a household that is marked by the presence of God God we pray for your covering just the umbrella of God to be over everything in our lives God we pray that that we would know that you're the one like like I think of rain coming down and holding an umbrella that we're not getting wet and we're not getting wet because it's God who is covering over us And God, we pray for miracles in our household. We pray for hearts that seem hard and they don't want to turn toward you. We pray that kids who are wayward would come back. We pray that where there's love lost between a husband and a wife, that you would turn their hearts toward one another and they'd fall back in love. God we pray for the kids that are wayward God that you said that you would break the curse that smites the land if we would turn our hearts toward you God we pray over the single folks in our church we pray for purity we pray for intentionality we pray God we pray for your spouse for them to come we pray for great patience for them while they wait I pray that you would bring about in due season the right person, the right time, the right place, and it would be evident that it's ordered by you and graced by you. And God, we pray over our household, single, married, single parents, grandparents, whatever it is, God, we pray for holiness. God, we pray like Joshua will later pray, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, we declare to you we know we're not perfect. God, we declare to you that we know we make mistakes. Those mistakes, we call them sins. And those sins we own and we repent for them. We say, God, I, I'm sorry. Sorry for going that way, for thinking that thing, for acting that way. Would you please forgive me? Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he was trying to teach his friends like this is how you do spiritual life and he's demonstrating for them by the way with unleavened bread because they're celebrating Passover and he says this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me he's teaching them like he's teaching us right now go ahead and eat think of the cup so grateful for grace just so grateful for it when I think of the cup I think that about a month from now we would all be sacrificing animals but not anymore I think a month from now we would not know the fullness of God but not not anymore I think this that The destroyer has passed over my life, our lives, your household. When Jesus did this, he said, this cup is an everlasting covenant. You have to do it every year. You just have to bow your heart once and stay there. So God, this is us bowing our hearts and saying, clean up what's not holy. Forgive us for where we've missed. But we drink this cup in remembrance that Jesus shed his blood as the Passover lamb to bring us into newness of life, to lift destruction off of our lives, and to lead us into life everlasting. Go ahead and drink. Tosh to lead us and we're gonna go father all the things that were spoken to this morning and things that I missed and things that your spirit spoke that I didn't say we just say yes and amen to what you wanted for each one of us if we're in the house God we say yes and amen for online God we say yes and amen we want what you want for our lives all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus God, as we worship, we just say, would you accept this last song of worship before we go today? go with just a newness, a hope, a release, a setting free, God, so grateful for a place to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, openly and freely. Keep your hand on us, cover over us, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you all, have a great day.